This is where we've been. If you've not been here yet for this series, we've just been talking about kind of the traditions that we all have. Each and every one of us, we have certain holiday or certain Christmas traditions that for us, it's what, the, it's what kind of really makes Christmas special or Christmas important. Sometimes it's the people we spend time with. It's the family members that we see. Sometimes it's the presents that we exchange. You know, again, there are things that I love about Christmas, and there are things that you love about Christmas. And it's those things. Again, it's those traditions, the movies that we watch. It's the things we do year in and year out that we look forward to, that we love, that we look back on in fond memories. Sometimes it's those things that tend to define Christmas. And while it's okay to have traditions, and while I think traditions can be great, I just think during this time of the year especially that we need to be careful that we don't allow our, uh, our traditions to really define what Christmas is. In fact, this is what we've been saying through this entire series. It's important. Watch this. That instead of defining Christmas by the traditions we experience, Christmas should define the experience of our traditions. What that means is this, is instead of us defining Christmas Hey, Christmas is grandma's house. Christmas is, you know, home-baked cookies. Christmas is exchanging presents. Instead of us defining Christmas, we should allow Christmas to define us. The reality that God sent his son into this world, that the Savior came, light into darkness, hope into hopelessness, that especially as Christ followers, especially as believers, that should be a defining moment that everything else that we do in every other way that we live, like we should look through that lens. And so, again, this is kind of the challenge, and we talked about week one about family tensions. And we all have a lot of tension when it comes to family around the holidays. You know, there are, unfortunately, around the holidays, a lot of hearts are broken. Maybe you're here, and the reason the holidays are difficult for you is because you lost someone. Maybe you lost them around the holidays, and so when Christmas comes up, it's just especially hard for you. Sometimes Christmas is hard because we didn't really lose them around the holidays, but we just lost someone. As much as we'd like to be with our family this time of the year, we just can't because they're no longer here. Maybe you've gone through a divorce and you're trying to navigate the difficulties of seeing your kids or your kids being with your ex-spouse. And so sometimes, man, the family tensions that come is just really overwhelming. And when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at his family tree, when you look at his lineage, you would think, man, that Jesus, if anybody had a perfect family, it was Jesus. If anybody had an incredible family tree, it was Jesus. But when you look at Scripture, when you look at everything that's outlined in the genealogies that lists the history and the family tree of Jesus, what you find is that Jesus had crazy people in his family. Jesus didn't just have in-laws. Jesus had outlaws. And even though it wasn't just in his family line, his brothers didn't like him. His own mom at times questioned who he was. Later in life, so throughout his entire life, Jesus came from a very difficult family. But in spite of his difficult family tree, Jesus, the Messiah, was born. So here's what we said in week one is this, that God can use incredibly broken family trees to produce incredible fruit, which means no matter what challenges you are facing this holiday, that you can allow Christ and who he is in you to change the dynamic of your family. I'm just telling you, if you walk into a room with forgiveness in your heart rather than bitterness, if you walk into those family gatherings like wanting to get along and wanting to make things smooth rather than wanting to fight, I'm telling you, Christ in you can change the dynamic of your family. Because I just believe with all of my heart that God is always about restoration. Y'all need to hear that. The heart of the Father is always restoration. Everybody say that. It's always restoration. All the way at the beginning when sin entered the world, there was a perfect creation, a perfect man, a perfect garden, married to a perfect woman. 
Sin came and ruined it all. And you know what God's heart is? God is God's heart is to restore paradise lost. I believe that God can restore marriages. God can restore relationships. God can restore all of that family tension that's there. So instead of you looking at, looking at Christmas saying, I don't like Christmas because of family, we need to allow who Jesus is, not just in this world, but Jesus in our lives to change the dynamic of the holidays. So last week, we also talked about not just these family pressures, but we talked last week about financial pressures and financial tensions. Because here's what we know about Christmas. People lose their financial minds during the holidays. People spend money they don't have buying gifts for people they don't like to buy them stuff that they don't want. Like that is the epitome of Christmas. And then we have all these regrets when the bills start rolling in in the first of the year. And so, while I think it's okay to buy presents, I think it's great that we can exchange gifts. I just think, especially as Christ followers, that we should make sure that we manage our money, we manage our resources, because that's what they are. Really, they're gods. We're just managing them. That we should do it in a way that's consistent throughout the year. So this is what we said last year, or last week, that we should never allow the Christmas spirit to stop your obedience to the Holy Spirit. So you got to be careful how you spend, that you don't spend yourself into oblivion, that you don't put yourself in a financial pickle for next year, that you can't really do what God wants you to do for the rest of the year because you lost your mind during this time of the year. Amen. So think about it, man. There's a lot of good stuff for the holidays, right? There's, um, there's food. There are gifts. There are family. There's decorations. Anybody know that there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of bad? Food what it does to you, gifts, what it costs you, family, and, and, and not just like good with traditions and good with decorations, but for me, decorations can be bad too. And here's why I said it, man. I love, I love decorations. I love the gaudy decorations, and my wife likes the nice little LEDs, and everything's neat, and it looks like it came out of a catalog. Like I like popcorn on the tree and stuff that just don't even make sense. None of the stuff even has to match. But um, so we've had some tension in our family because of decorations. In fact, one of the first uh, Christmases we had as husband and wife is one of the biggest arguments we've ever had in our lives. And we don't fight much as a couple, but I remember this one because this was like a knockdown, drag out, and means she knocked me down or drug me out. But anyways, so we had decided, you know, we're just going to get a Christmas tree. And we went out and we found the perfect tree. You know how it is when anybody here like real Christmas trees? And like, you know, when you go out and you look for one and like you're looking them over and you want to make sure they don't have any bald spots and you find the perfect one and you wonder, is it big enough until you get it in your house and it's like four foot too tall and it's like it sticks out halfway into the room. We drug this big tree into our house and I was excited to have a real tree at Christmas. We were going to put it up and decorate. And so the time came to put it like you got to mount it on a tree stand. And tree stands are from the devil. I don't know who made, the devil has, he's made tree stands. It wasn't made in China or Asia or America. Or, it was made in hell. That's where tree stands were made. Because you got to force the wooden like tree down into these prongs. And you got to make sure it's straight. And so you need help to do it. And I'm just telling you that marriage should be a partnership. So we drug this tree in and it's wet from snow on the branches and it's sticky from the sap and needles are sticking out, poking you everywhere you try to touch it. And so I get, I sacrifice life and limb for my family, and I crawl underneath the tree to force it onto the stand. And all I need my wife to do is just hold it straight. All I need you to do, babe, is hold it. Just hold it. And she don't want to hold it because it's sticky. And she told me after, I was pregnant. Don't matter. Just hold the tree. 
And so she wants to hold this heavy tree like this. It's getting water on me. It's, it's sticking me. And so it's tipping over. And I'm like, hold it. And the more I shake it, the more I get wet and needles are poking me till finally Jesus left the house because I grabbed that tree and drug it outside and threw it in the front yard. And I promise you, it laid there for two weeks. And when we would drive up in the front yard and like in our driveway, like no one would just say, like we would just act like the tree wasn't even there. And we went out like that night and got an artificial tree. And we've had an artificial tree every year since because I want to stay married. So here's the question. Here's the question. There, there's really so much good with the holidays, with family and food and gifts and traveling and all the things. But is that it? Like what I want to talk about today is not just the family pressures and the financial tensions. Today I want to talk about the faith changer. Because I don't want us to so easily forget as we maneuver through the holidays that the center of this celebration, the reason for the season, the foundation of the festivities is the reality that God sent his son Jesus who came into this world to rescue broken humanity, to show up and to save people who are far from him. That in the midst of all of the things that we've made it, we cannot forget that it is about Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. And that's a faith changer. That is a game changer. And so I want to look at part of the story, in Chris, uh, the Christmas story found in the Gospel of Luke. I want you to check this out. Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Here's what it says. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, come on, read this, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, I just want you to know, that is a perfectly rational response. If you're on the midnight shift and an angel shows up at work and all of a sudden it goes from being dark outside to light and you're not terrified, something's wrong with you. An angel showed up and the radiance of God's glory lit the room up like a nightclub. And they were afraid, terrified. But watch this. But the angel reassured them, come on, read this, don't be afraid. I want you to know something this morning, that we should never serve God out of fear. While God wants us to have the fear of the Lord, which means that we should have a very healthy understanding of who God is, of how great God is, while we should maintain an awe of who God is, we should never serve God out of fear. We serve God out of love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Listen to me, you're not servants, you're sons and daughters. God loves you enough that he came to rescue. So we don't serve God like, God, I, I hope I'm pleasing you enough. I, God, I'm afraid of God. We're upset. We think he's mad at us. We think he's upset at us. No, I'm here to tell you, don't be afraid. And then listen to this line right here. You all got to read this with me. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Let's say that again. I bring you good news that will bring to who? I want to talk about this good news for a minute. Good news. Here's a question for you. What makes good news good news? I mean, you might say, well, Pastor Steve, that's like an easy question because if the news is good, it's good news. And I'd say, yeah, that's partially true, but I think there's more than that. Like if I ask you, hey, what makes bad news bad news? You say, well, Pastor Steve, that's easy. If the news is bad, it's bad news. And I'd say, yeah, but I think it's more than that. For example, do you know each and every day around the world, in fact, right here in the Shoals, each and every day people are diagnosed with some kind of terminal illness? 
People are diagnosed with cancer. People are diagnosed with heart disease. People are diagnosed with all kinds of horrific things that nobody ever wants to be diagnosed with. And while you can hear that and say, yeah, that's bad news, I would say, I mean, yeah, it's bad news, but is it really bad news? If, if I told you, hey, each and every day people get out of the hospital because they're healed, because they're well, because they're in recovery, because their cancers are in remission, or because they got the best and the best doctor or the best medicine, and they're in good shape. Hey, hey, this person is healed. This, God did a miracle and healed somebody. You would say that's good news, and I'd say, yeah, it is, but what makes bad news bad news? What makes good news good news? If I told you, hey, there's people who, are, who filed for bankruptcy this week, that's bad news. People who lost their jobs, that's bad news, is it? I don't know if you guys read, but the mega million jackpot winner just a couple weeks ago won $85 million in Atlanta, Georgia. Merry Christmas, whoever you are, and I hope I'm on your list. $85 million. Anybody here would like to win $85 million? Let me just tell you. So there's news that appears to be bad because the content of the news is bad. There's news that appears to be good news because the content of the news is good. But what makes bad news bad and what makes good news good is this right here. What makes good news good is ownership. It's your news. If you read in the paper, if I read in the paper, hey, John Jones won $85 million, I'd be like, that's nice, and I'd flip to the next page. But if I read Steve Husky, pastor of Faith Church, won $85 million, I would lose my mind. Do you know why? Because the good news is my news. If I lose my job, that's my bad news. If somebody I knows die, if someone I know dies, that's my bad news. If I lose my job, if I get a raise, if I get a promotion, if I win the lottery, what makes bad news bad and good news good is it's personal. It's your news. And I want everybody to know when that angel showed up 2,000 years ago, right after Jesus was born, what he said was this, I have good news that will bring great joy to all people. The reason the good news is good news is because it's very personal. It's for all people. Everybody say all people. It's for all people. It's for white people and black people and yellow people and red people, tall people, short people, rich people, poor people, straight people, gay people, church people, non-church people, believers, non-believers, atheists, agnostics, Muslims. The good news of what that angel came to say about why Jesus was born, it was for all people. Y'all got to shout all people because it's your news. See, when you say Jesus came, a Savior was born, like that's just news. Now, as church people, we can spin it to say it's good, but until you believe it's your news, until you can buy into the reality that Jesus didn't come for a group of people or some people or church people, but that Jesus came The Son of God stepped into this world. He was sent by the Father on a mission for all people. And I just want you to know that you're in all people. See, here's the crazy thing is stop and think about this. If you're an angel, right, like you're standing before God, and God's like, listen, I want you to go, and I want you to tell somebody that my son is born on earth. Like, who would you go to? If that was your assignment, who would you tell? Because I think I would want to go tell important people. Like, right, I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to tell the king the Savior's born. I'm going to go tell rich, influential people the king is born. Like, if you were the angel, who would you go tell? Because the Bible tells us that the angel went and told some shepherds. Here's what's interesting about that is that shepherds 
was one of the number one occupations of that time, which meant this. Of all the people the angel could have told, the angel chose to tell regular, everyday, blue-collar, middle-of-the-road, non-super-religious, just everyday people because the good news that brings great joy is for all people. Do you know the Bible says that God is not willing that any should, any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. That means your crazy grandmother. That means the uncle that gets on your nerves. That means the brother you're disconnected from. That means your spouse that you got divorced from that you wish you could choke out and strangle. God is not willing that any should perish. Your boss, the people you think have issues that are worse than your issues, the people you judge like internally, you may not say anything, but you look at them and think, how could they live that way? How could they believe that way? How could they do such a thing? I want you to know the good news of this Christmas season. The center of the celebration, the foundation of the festivities is Jesus coming. And that is good news that brings great joy to all people. And so great joy. Everybody shout great joy. Great joy. I love this word. Great joy. Because it's not just like everyday run-of-the-mill joy. It's great joy. The word that's here is this word. It's where we get our prefix mega. That's the word megas, M-E-G-A-S. That's the word in the original Greek, megas. Here's what it means. It means if you're measuring the size, it's as big as you can get. If you're measuring length, megas is as long as you can get, as tall as you can go. That's this word, megas. If you're talking about something that's intangible, something like authority, it's not talking about the sergeant. It's not talking about the lieutenant. It's talking about the general. It's talking about the ultimate authority, the biggest authority. So when God says, hey, I've come to make this announcement, it's great joy. It's saying something that's enduring, something that will never fade, never disappear, never go away. It is great joy. Everybody shout great joy. Listen, you, we better not just have great joy because you got the gift you wanted, because you got what you circled, because you got what you emailed, because you got what you put on your Amazon wanted list. What makes this season special? Is this announcement. An angel came and said, I've come to bring you good news that'll bring great joy to everybody, to all people. This word joy, this is cool because it's more than a feeling. Like it's more than I got a feeling. Like, do y'all know that song was rated one of the worst songs of 2016? I'll punch the guy who made that right in the throat. That's a great song. <laughs> this is not like this feeling, this goosebump. Or like, I think I feel okay, or it makes me sound. This word, great joy, is so important. Because when the Bible makes this declaration that the angel said, I've come to bring you great joy, this word joy specifically is a word that means it's tied to benefits. It's attached to something. When God says, I want you to have joy, he's saying, I don't want you to feel good. He's saying, I'm going to give you some reasons you can really feel amazing. Everybody say great joy. Let's check out what the Bible talks about with these benefits. Check this out. Psalm 103 tells us this, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, David is the guy who wrote this. And if you don't pick this up in the beginning, David is kind of talking to himself. Have you ever needed to talk to yourself? Like you're having a bad day and you got to talk yourself into a good day. Anybody here ever to talk yourself into like, like talk yourself out of, out of bed in the morning? Come on, you can do it. Don't hit the, don't hit the snooze again. Anybody here ever had to talk themselves out of a bad attitude or talk themselves into something? David is going through a very, very difficult place in life, and he looks at his life, and he's like, hey, Saul, come on, you, you got this. 
We're going to be okay. It doesn't matter how it looks on the outside. Bless the Lord, soul. Come on, get your praise on, soul. Here's why, because here's what God's done for you. Here's your benefit package if you're a Christ follower. Here's the great joy. Watch this. And forget not all his benefits. Watch what his benefit package is. Y'all got to read this. Who forgives all your iniquities? I love your response. Now, see, if you're perfect, that's not good news. If you never mess up, that's not good news. If you live a sinless, spotless, you always have it together, like everything's always works out, this is not good news. But I think maybe today I'm here with some imperfect people, some people who make mistakes. Anybody here fall short, say some stuff you shouldn't say, ever done anything you shouldn't have done? Come on, then this is really good news because God says, hey, I have forgiven all your iniquities. There's no buts. Yeah, but God, no, no, all. Yeah, but God, remember, no, all. Yeah, but God, I said I would never do it again, and I did it again, and then I said I'd never do it again, and I kept doing it again. All. Yeah, but God, this one was really bad this time, and I've done some bad stuff, but God, this, no, all. The great joy that you should have is no matter how deep your sin, God's grace and love is deeper. No matter how mega, no matter how ginormous your sin, God's benefits are even greater. Come on, somebody. He forgives all of our iniquities. That's great news because I have a whole batch of them. And they're not just in my past. Sometimes they're in my present. Because sometimes I still say things and still do things and still struggle with things. And God didn't just forgive our past sins. God forgives our past sins, our present sins, in our future sins. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for the sin of the world, he died for all sin of all mankind for all time. He forgives all of your iniquities. Go ahead, Jesus. So for some reason, we start to break down when it gets to this next part. I don't know about you, but I, I want the whole benefit package, right? I don't want just health care. I want dental and vision too. Is anybody with me? I want you to know that your dental package comes or your health package comes like dental, vision. You got, you got the gold package from God. Here's what the Bible says. So if you want to wrestle with this theologically, that's up to you. I just choose to believe what God says. That Jesus, he not only, because he came and he died on the cross, not only does he forgive all of my iniquities, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, he heals all of my diseases. Now, you might come from a church background that teaches you some theological framework or some dispensation that God used to heal, but he doesn't heal, or maybe you, whatever. I'm just telling you, uh, your theological argument can't, like, you can't argue my experience. You can't tell me God doesn't heal because I've been healed. You can't tell me God doesn't heal because I've seen people healed. So you say, but yes, pastor, but according to like, whatever, in the original Greek, and the Apostle Paul, and blah, 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 I'll say, yeah, but I've been healed. Like, I trump you. I win. Like, that wins. I've been, yeah, but I've been healed. See, I win. I just, like, that's one move, checkmate, game over. When I was in, uh, and I've, been, I've, I've experienced God do great things in my life multiple times, bless us, heal us, do great things. When I was in, uh, when I was in Bible college, um, I worked for several months at UPS, now, UPS, I don't know if you all have ever heard this before. I don't know if we have any UPS drivers here, but UPS drivers make some mad change. They get paid. And you might think for driving a, a truck and, like, just walking up and handing a package, like, they get paid too much until you work. 
for UPS because they are slave drivers and they get every penny out of you. So I worked at UPS for a little while and I worked as, an, uh, as a loader, which meant there were constantly packages coming my direction. And on a three-hour shift, it was up to me and one other guy. We had to load an entire, uh, are they 52 foot? How long's a trailer? What is it? 53. 53. We, me and another guy in a three-hour shift, we had to load a 53-foot trailer. And here's what we did. You had to grab packages as fast as they come. They could be as small as anything, but they could be as long as six or seven foot long. They could weigh up to 75 pounds. You'd have to grab them. We had 17 zip codes that could go on our truck. If a guy, if the sorter put a zip code on our truck and it went on our truck, we were in trouble, not him. So you had to grab it, look at it, and then put it in place, which means you had to build walls. Like you couldn't just throw them. Anybody remember the game Tetris? Like at night, I would dream Tetris because that's what I did every day, just build walls. And so it was crazy, like just as fast as you could move, building walls. Well, then I quit and I got a job at RPS, Roadway Packaging System. And Roadway Packaging System, the reason they were better than UPS is because even though I had to move 800 packages an hour at UPS, RPS, I only had to do 600, which like I look like the king because I was used to doing 800. And my job was I was an unloader and the primary truck that I unloaded every night was filled with office supplies. Now, one of the worst things about office supplies are pallets of paper. Anybody here ever pick up a case of paper? Like, I mean, someone put a box of rocks in there, right? So here was my job every night is I would put in, uh, I would put in a, thing, a thing of rollers, and I'd go back to the first pot, and as fast as I could move, I would grab a package of paper, and I would throw it down the roller line as fast as I could move. And it was my job alone to unload a 53-foot trailer by myself every night. And the further you got into the trailer, getting the back, the harder you had to throw to make sure the paper went all the way down the roller line to the main line. And I'll never forget, man, I love this job. And one night I'm grabbing this paper, I'm picking up, throwing it, grabbing, picking it. And I picked this paper, I went to throw it. And when I threw it, like it felt like I got prison shanked. I don't know what that feels like, but it felt like that. (laughs) I mean, immediately I was in some of the worst pain I've ever experienced. I mean, literally it felt like someone just stabbed me. And man, I immediately went down to my knees. Man, I could barely move. I couldn't really breathe. I was in so much pain. Didn't know what I did wrong. And I heard like a, do you know what celery sounds like? Like when I did that, I heard a celery sound, (laughs) which is not good (laughs) because I don't have any celery in me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So I was like, and I, and so like, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand up straight. I was in so much pain. If I tried to, it was painful always, but if I tried to stand up at all, it was excruciating. So I walked to the bathroom like this, all the way across the plant. I was in so much pain, I laid out on the bathroom floor. I'm saying, you got to be in some pain to lay on a public bathroom floor. <laughs> and this tells you what kind of guys I'm working with. One guy comes in to go to the bathroom for real, and he does this. <laughs> Steve, you, you all right? Just handles his business and leaves. The manager came. He said, listen, we need to call an, uh, call an ambulance. I said, don't call an ambulance. I don't have insurance. Don't call an ambulance. So I got in my car, and I was able to drive, like, barely seeing over the steering wheel. I mean, it looked like I was rolling, but I wasn't rolling. <laughs> I was just in pain. <laughs> looked like one of them old guys. All you can see is the knuckles, like, like just trying to barely see over the steering wheel. And I drove myself to one of those 24-hour emergency room places. I went in. So this is not, I think I was sick and I thought I was better. Like I went and talked to a physician. I was seen by a doctor. I was x-rayed. I was medically examined. Doctor came back and said, this is what you did. And I don't remember the name. You you tore your rectus something. Don't read into that. That's a muscle. Ha ha ha. (laughs) See, the problem was I drew attention to it. That's what happened. 
So he said, uh, he said, listen, you need to go to the emergency room. He said, you've tore something in there. And he said, you can keep bleeding. And he said, it can be bad. And I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. You know, I don't know if I thought I was cool or tough or broke or a combination of the three. I said, I'm just going to go, go home. And so I went and got in my car <clears throat> and uh, I'm driving back. I get back to, this is when I was in Bible college, first year of Bible college. I get back and I'm walking into our dorm room and my residence assistant was in his office. His name is Kevin. Kevin was a godly guy, man, loved the Lord. Just, man, you would always hear him in his, in his dorm room praying. And so I'm walking by, literally I'm walking up the hallway to my room like this, just in pain, like, ugh. He walks out, he says, Steve, what's wrong with you? And so I told him, I said, man, I hurt myself at work. I said, man, I'm in a lot of pain. He said, come in here, I want to pray for you. And I was like, I, you know, I'm in. But see, when you think, when you hear God can heal you, but you don't really believe God can heal you, you don't really expect anything to happen. And so I'm like, I'll let him pray for me because, like, that's what I should do. And I sat down, and he took out anointing oil and prayed for me because that's what James 5 says. And so he anointed me to just pray, Father, I just ask, Lord, you touch him, heal him. And I'm just telling you why he prayed. I'm standing like this. And while he's praying for me, like, the pain just starts to disappear. And I thought, well, it's okay here, but if I stand up, like, it's going to come back fierce. And so he gets finished praying. He's like, how you feeling? I was like, Good. And I'm like, I'm afraid to stand up, and I'm standing up like this. And I'm telling you, that pain was absolutely gone. So, so here's the thing. So the doctor was concerned enough about me. The doctor I had seen about an hour earlier called me at my dorm room. This is way back in the day where we had a payphone in, like, one payphone in the hallway. And by, yeah, I'm going back, way back. And so this guy came and said, hey, there's a doctor for you on the phone for you. So I walked down. And he's like, hey, man, I'm just really concerned about you. Listen, if you have any bleeding in the night, if you're bleeding out, you need to get in the car immediately. So this doctor was legitimately concerned. And, um, and so here's what I told him. I was like, hey, man, I came back to the dorm room, and the Lord healed me. And, man, God, he's like, okay, bye-bye. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, he wasn't having it. But I'm just telling you, listen to me. God doesn't only just forgive all your iniquities. Come on, read this. He heals all your diseases. How can God do that? It's because the reason Jesus came was to take what we had and give us what he has. God took upon him our sin. Jesus took upon him our weaknesses, our sicknesses, and our separation. That's what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Jesus bore our iniquity. He carried our sin. He carried our transgression. In fact, it's not up here, but listen to what Isaiah 53 says. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he's borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. The theological term is, is he is our vicarious substitution, which means he stood in our place and said, he's a sinner, but I'll take the punishment. He's sick, but I'll take the symptoms. He's separated, but I'll be separated. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A God, the Father, who is forever in eternity connected to the Son for the first time separated because of sin, our sin. And Jesus gave us his relationship with the Father. He gave us his healing. He gave us his peace. He gave, gave us his perfection. That's our benefit packages. We gave God what was broken, and he gave us what was whole. That's what Christmas is all about. Keep reading this. It says, who redeems your life from destruction who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. One of the most tragic things to me about Christians 
is that we come and we love to celebrate forgiveness, and that's it. And I'm just telling you, just living forgiven is just the first step. You should live a life where you're no longer walking a life that just is meaningless. He redeems your life from destruction, which means he can turn around your addiction and your struggle and your brokenness and your hurt. And he can give you purpose and meaning and destiny. He can crown you with loving kindness and tender mercy. One more, watch this, verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. See, this good news is not just really personal. This good news is very powerful. What's the good news? He tells us in verse 11, watch this. Verse 11, here's the good news that brings great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. See, this word Savior means deliverer. It means a rescuer, means forgiver, a redeemer. See, this word is so replete with depth and meaning that God is saying, whatever your need is, I met it. Whatever your struggle is, I can answer it. Wherever you're weak, I can be strong. See, the hope is not packages and presents and trees and family. The meaning of this time of the year is we're reminded that God loved a broken people enough that he did something about it. Three things real quick and we'll close. Everyone needs a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. If we could do this life on our own, I'm telling you, Jesus would have never suffered what he suffered. But he suffered on that cross because everyone needs a Savior. And everyone needs a Savior because everyone's a sinner. Now listen, I... People struggle with that because our natural inclination is to say, I'm a good person. But on the barometer of the good scale, this is our scale. Is well, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no Hitler. And that's our way of saying I'm pretty good. Well, I just want you to know, you may, be good, you may be better than me, or I may be better than you, but here's the bad news. I'm not your standard, and you're not mine. God is the standard of what's good. And if that's the standard, we all fall short. We all miss the mark because we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all broken God's law somewhere at some point at some time. So everyone needs a Savior because everyone's a sinner. And here's the great news about Christmas. Jesus is everyone's Savior. He's everyone's Savior. He's not church people's Savior. He's everyone's Savior.